Amos chapter 8, verse 11, uh, the Lord spoke and said that uh, there's coming a day where he's bringing a famine in the land. And it's not a famine for food. It's not a famine for water. But it is a famine for the hearing of the word of God. And because of the hardness of people's hearts and their they're stiff-necked and they're rebellion and they choose to hear what only they desire to hear rather than what God would have them hear. He said, then I'll, I'll harden their hearts even more. I'll close their ears off and I'm going to cause a famine. And in this famine, they won't even take heed to the word anymore because they've been pretty much cut off from it. And You know, I, I truly believe that that's, that's where we're coming. That's where we're coming to. I mean, there's, there's churches all over this world. But not all these churches are preaching the hearing of the Word of God. Because when he said the hearing of the Word of God, it's not just listening, right? Because you're listening to my voice right now. But it is uh, taking heed to the Word of God, listening to every aspect of it, right? That's what we're trying to do on Wednesdays. We're trying to get this character of God and, and put it together so that we can understand. But that's not necessarily what's going to fill up a church. What's going to fill up a church is something that's a little more pleasing to, to, to an, an emotional soul that says, what, what is in this for me? Which if we truly knew correctly when we, when we try to seek after this that we are, there is a lot in store for us because there's blessedness that comes forth. There is joy. There's peace. There's so many other things. And I was just thinking about that because we're coming to that day. We're coming to that time. It's very close and there is a lot of hardness going on. And I thought about it this past weekend because... You know, Sunday's message was not your normal type of message. There was a lot of challenging things in the message. There was a lot of challenging of the soul, right? There was a lot of talking about uh, the, the, uh, the Christian that will come by night and steal the character of Christ uh, because it's all what's been more beneficial for me, but they do it in the name of Christ. And, you know, that's where we're at today, unfortunately. It's sad to say, but that's where we're at. And I almost didn't bring forth that word just out of my own feeling of condemnation. You know, why can't I just be like everyone else and let's have, just have a good fun message that's going to excite everyone. But then I look out and I see the darkness that's still within the hearts of people and the message has to come forth. And if no one else is going to preach it, then someone has to because uh, the Bible says that the Lord sought to and fro on the earth and who can I use? And he said, I found no man. But the prophet said, here am I, send me. Now, I'm not declaring that I'm no prophet by no means. I'm well, way smaller than that, but I am someone who's willing to say, okay, I'll, I'll say it if no one else wants to say it because we have to, because it's vital to our souls for the sake of our families, for the sake of everything that we engaging in life. It's vital. And so because of it, we have to approach matters like that, no matter how uncomfortable they are sometimes. Sometimes we listen to these things and it causes us to wiggle in our seats because I'm very uncomfortable at what I'm listening to, but it's a challenge to cause us to do this uh, thing. But at the end of it all, as we ended off the message is we know where we're going regardless of it. So no matter what, I have this tugging and pulling on my soul that no matter what, uh, there is a joy that's there, right? So tonight we are going to be covering the omnipotence of God. I'm sure you've heard that word, maybe just thrown around, you don't understand it. The omnipotence of God. 
Now, again, this morning as I was uh, reading in our devotional time, I started to realize, and, and you know, I was sharing this with Norma that, you know, we've been looking at these attributes of God. And when you, now when you have a, a, a more well rounded understanding of what the attributes are, when you're reading scripture, now you can start to understand it a little bit better. Because now I understand his will, I understand his freedom, I understand his other characteristics. So when I'm reading scripture, okay, now I can, I can put it exactly how it goes because I've put these pieces together. Why did God do this over here in the Old Testament? Well, because I understand his will, I realized that maybe it was a part of his necessary will because of their rebellion, so this had to happen. Or he has freedom over here. So it helps us in putting this together. And my hopes is that now, as you're reading Scripture, okay, now I can see this, what we covered the other day here and here. And it's like we're putting pieces of the character of God all together in this big puzzle. And tonight we're here at the omnipotence of God. This big word, omnipotence, uh, it's part of the purposeful attributes that we've still been in, in the character of God. There are attributes that are useful. Now this characteristic, it's also known as simply the power of God, or other people have called it the sovereignty of God. I'm sure you've, called, you've heard that as well, the sovereignty of God. Now let me make a point right here because if you know me well, you know that I always point out two different extremes that there is out there. And when it comes to the sovereignty of God, there's two different extremes. There's, there's one camp that says God is just sovereign above all, which He is, but they preach the sovereignty of God to the point where you're really not doing anything in your own control anymore because God's just leading you to do it all. Well, if you think about it in that manner, then basically you would just be a puppet and God would be a puppet master. And if you think about it even further, how does God get any glory out of that? He doesn't. That would be like a husband telling his wife what to do instead of her saying, I do it because I choose to do it because I love my husband. Now you have another camp over here that says, well, we just have all kinds of power and we can change whatever God would have in mind. And so you always have to do, as I say, come back to the middle and say that, yes, God is sovereign above all. He reigns. But we also have a, a small amount of what we would call sovereignty. Not to the amount of God, but in that, even though we may change something that God desires us to do, God will still have his will at the end of it all. Okay, so it's, it's good to note that the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence, it is, has to be balanced in this aspect. And I point that out before so that uh, we know this ahead of time. Now, this power speaks of power and strength, and the sovereignty speaks of being above all, superior. God is sovereign. I mean, he is, yes, above all. We've already made clear there is no other gods. He is the only one. So the word omnipotence, it comes from two Latin words. The word omni, which means all, and potens, potens, which means powerful. So this together means all-powerful. God is all-powerful. And I think last week I said it was the Greek words, and that was my mistake. It's Latin words, uh, omnipotent. So the omnipotence of God, number one, is God's ability to do all of His holy will. It's God's ability to do all of His holy will. 
Now, in the same manner that the freedom of God demonstrated that God does as he chooses, the omnipotence of God demonstrates that he also possesses the power and ability to do so as well. So last week we were looking into the freedom of God. God does whatever he pleases. Well, he also contains the power to do that which he pleases. Okay, because sometimes we desire to do something, especially you ladies maybe, right? You want to change a flat, but you don't have the power to do it, right? Because maybe the lug nuts are too tight. I'm not making less of you ladies. I know some of you are strong, right? But, but it's just an example. So God has the power to do that what he chooses. Psalm chapter 24, verse 8. The psalmist says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Now, all throughout Scripture, we see God referred to being mighty and all-powerful and having this ability that nobody else has. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. When you look at this in the Hebrew, you see uh, a lot of us are familiar with the names of God. We've heard of, of the names of God. We know Jehovah Jireh. We know Jehovah Rapha. And we know Jehovah Sidkenu and all those. Well, this is the most formal name of God, which is El Shaddai, which means God most powerful, God Almighty. Now, here in Genesis chapter 17, it's speaking of God's power to fulfill his covenant with Abraham. This is where he comes to Abraham and he gives him a promise and tells him that uh, he, he makes a covenant with him. And he says that he's going to make his descendants as great as is the sand of the sea. Now, he, re, he asks one thing. He requires one thing of Abraham and he says, walk before me and be blameless. In Genesis chapter 18, the next chapter over, in verse 14, he said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, if you're familiar with Genesis 18, this is where these three angels showed up to Abraham by the trees of the terebinth, of Mamre, and he's there, and he sees three angels coming, and he says, Sarah, quickly prepare a meal, because there's three men coming, and if you do an in-depth study, you'll figure out that one of those angels is Jesus Christ himself. That is what we called a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So they go, the angels, to show up to tell Abraham, Sarah, she's going to bear a child. This is Isaac. And she laughs because I'm old in age. I'm not, my, my womb is dead already. I'm barren. I'm not going to have a child. And they came to remind him of it. And Genesis 18 speaks of God's power to fulfill the son of promise to Abraham. Now remember that Abraham was around 99 years old when he had his son. Now, that's unheard of today, 99-year-old man to have a son or even a woman 
to have a son at that age. Again, Sarah laughed and said, my womb is dead. I mean, I, I can't have a child. Now, this was, again, Isaac, which Isaac, it's the typology of Jesus Christ that was going to be born. And, I mean, is it like God to achieve something that we would say it's unachievable? We can't do this. This is impossible. But no, God does the impossible. Now, in this promise, we just got through worshiping a song that will wait upon God. Remember, about 20 years before that is when he showed up here. And so Abraham was waiting and waiting and waiting. And in that waiting, we could stray away from the, from the word of God because that's what they did. And guess what? Sarah came with her brilliant idea and said, hey, I know how God's going to give us a son. Oh, really? You do? Yeah. How? You're going to sleep with my maidservant. And when you sleep with her, she's going to have a child. That's the, the child that God has promised you. Well, we know now that that was a big mistake. Well, first of all, I don't think there's a lady in the room that would say, I'm going to let my husband sleep with this other person. I don't think so. And if he's a godly man, he would say, woman, you're crazy. I ain't going to do that either, right? We would hope so. But there was chaos that came out from it. Now, when we go into Galatians and in the New Testament, we start to see that Ishmael, who came from it, is a picture of the carnal person. And Isaac is a picture of the spiritual person. So that's why God told Abraham, send him away, the son Isaac and his mom send them away. And as a matter of fact, now God made a promise to them as well. He said he's going to be a mighty man. He's going to be blessed. He's going to be a warrior. But if you do an in-depth study again, you'll start to realize that the Muslim nation that is so harsh against Jews and Christians, guess what? They came back from that lineage right there. So we see that it doesn't just go away. We, we receive forgiveness for our sins, yes, but we don't ever think about the consequences and how long they're going to come back and, and haunt us, per se. Okay? So God's powerful. We got to trust God. We got to wait upon God that what He said, He will fulfill it. The same way that if He's dropped something in our hearts that He is going to do, trust God, He will do it. But we can't be like uh, Sarah and say, okay, I have a bright idea. Because that's easy for that to happen. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now this speaks of God's power to bring His people back from captivity. We'll speak a little bit more about that as we get to the end of this. But if you read Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, you know exactly what's happening in, in this uh, situation. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and telling them that they need to be holy, that they need to be separate. He says, what fellowship has light to do with darkness? What fellowship is good with bad? Christ with Belial. Belial was another God from the Old Testament. What fellowship they don't. It's like trying to mix oil and water. So he's telling them, be separate, be set apart for God. 
And he quotes, he goes on to quote from the Old Testament, and this is one of those quotes. He says, come out from among them and be separate. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now this word uh, almighty in the Greek means to hold sway over all things. It means absolutely and universally sovereign. I have complete control over everything. Now he's quoting from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. In which it says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. So this is talking about David, the promise that he gave to the lineage of David, that David was going to sit on the throne, that he was going to be a man after God's own heart. But if he goes away from what I've asked him to do, or if he starts committing iniquity or transgression, I'm going to chastise him. And I believe that that's why Paul is quoting this to the Corinthians saying, look, remember this that I'm quoting to you? He didn't necessarily mention it to them. But if they knew scripture, which they did back then, and we should today, we should be thoroughly acquainted with it saying, look, God is saying, be separate, leave from this, because if you don't, there's going to be a chastisement that comes from God. He contains the power to chastise those children that belong to him. Now, we understand that very well because in our school system, they don't have the power to be able to discipline us, especially in today's day and age, the way that our parents would. Now, our parents, to, you know, don't even necessarily need a belt, but back in the day, they just needed a shoe. Right? Anything. But they discipline their children. And this is the same with God. He doesn't need permission. Those who belong to Him, He is going to discipline them. And I'm sure that there's plenty in this room who have been disciplined by God. And it's not a light thing. If it's something that we can smile at, then it wasn't God that was disciplining us. But if it's something that brings that fear and it instills it, yeah, that was the hand of God. So this speaks of God's power to discipline those who are His children. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the angel Gabriel saying to Mary, he says, for with God, nothing is impossible. Again, uh, this was the angel Gabriel announcing to Elizabeth that she was going to have a child. Again, she was an older woman past the age of birth and also to Mary and she was a virgin. So this speaks of God's power to open the womb of Elizabeth in her old age and Mary's virgin conception. I mean, think of that today. If someone came out pregnant, oh, but you didn't have no relation with no one. How did you get pregnant? I mean, it would be something that baffles us. We read about it and we say, okay, but there comes a point where the gospel becomes real and we know. And God's reply to her was nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing, not one thing. Now, these passages indicate that God's power is infinite and that he is therefore not limited to doing only what he actually has done. In fact, number two, God is able to do more than he actually does. God is able to do more than he actually does. That doesn't almost even sound right. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, John the Baptist, when he was out preaching, he said, and do not think, do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, God didn't do it, but he is able, and he clearly said it. God has the power to raise up children from these stones. Now, God had the power just as well in the Old Testament to destroy all the Israelites that were complaining, that were murmuring, that were backbiting. They had God so angry that he could have just wiped them out with the snap of a finger, but he didn't do it. But there was a man who stood as an intercessor in between, and that was Moses. And he said, God, you can't do that, Lord. They're going to mock your name. They're going to say, you didn't have enough power. To, you, pulled them, you had enough power to pull them out of bondage, but you didn't have enough power to see them to the promised land. And so God said, okay, but you need to speak to these people that they would get right. However, there are some things that God cannot do. I was actually speaking with someone the other day and they said, uh, there's nothing that God can't do. God can do anything. Well, in a sense, yes, but also in a sense, no, because there is some things that God cannot do. Right off the bat, God cannot do anything that goes against his character. He's not going to. The Bible says he's not a man that he should lie. This is why uh, the definition of omnipotence is stated in terms of God's ability to do all of his holy will. It's not just to do anything, but it's to do all of his holy will. It's not absolutely everything that God is able to do, but everything that is consistent with his character. Now that is true of God, and that we do know. A, couple, a few examples is, I mentioned it just a while ago, God cannot lie. That's Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says that God cannot deny himself. I actually said that in our opening prayer, that God cannot deny himself. And James chapter 1, verse 13 says that God cannot be tempted with evil. And it actually goes on to say that he's not going to tempt no one else with evil as well. So there is some things that God will not do. Chapter 2, verse 13. This means that it is not entirely accurate to say that God can do anything. Even the scripture passages quoted above that use a phrase similar to this must be understood in their context to mean that God can do anything he wills to do or anything that is consistent with his character. Although God's power is infinite, his use of that power is qualified by his other attributes. Just as all God's attributes qualify all of his actions, this is, this is therefore another instance where misunderstanding would result if one attribute were isolated from the rest of God's character and emphasized in a disproportionate way. Remember I was talking at the beginning, the pieces of the puzzle were putting together. I, I said several weeks ago when we minister to somebody, would most definitely, we want to present the truth of God. But we can't, in that mission to present the truth of God, we can't deny the fact that God is also compassion and love. Because now we're failing in that area, and now what we're doing is we're presenting a wrong image of who God is. So we already failed right off the bat. 
So we want to uh, pro be proportionate with His love, with His grace, with His mercy, and also with His truth. And we also want to be balanced with the, the warnings of Scripture, but as well as the promises. So we want to have that balanced out. Again, when we're seeing all these things, we're, we're, we're able to better put them together so that we can be more effective because that's our goal. Because if not, we're going to be very ineffective. And if you want to get real critical about it, this God that is not totally proportionate, if we don't present him right, basically, it's just another idol that we're presenting to somebody. Because that's what's happening today. Some people are presenting a huge God of love, 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 but he's not a God of wrath. Well, that's just an idol and you've named him Jesus. Or some of them that just want to present truth and you're going to hell, but there's no love or forgiveness or mercy. That's another idol that's cousin to this idol, and they call him Jesus as well. But it's not the true biblical Jesus. It's what Paul would say, another Jesus. It's another gospel. So this is the importance of coming on a Wednesday to say, let's find out more about these characteristics of God. Because these characteristics, we share them as well with God. Now, we don't have the sovereignty or the power that God has, but we do have a faint, faint, small part of it that we do share that it reflects him which comes to the next question how might we share these attributes we do not of course have infinite power or omnipotence any more than we have infinite freedom or any of god's other attributes to an infinite degree but even though we do not have omnipotence god has given us power to bring about results both physical power and other kinds of power mental power, spiritual power, persuasive power, and power in various kinds of authority structures, which would be the family, church, civil government, and so forth. In all of these areas, the use of power in ways pleasing to God and consistent with His will is again something that, number three, brings Him glory as it reflects His own character. Brings him glory as it reflects his own character. See, that is what we're here for. That is our calling, to bring glory to God. I, I bring that home a lot. Sometimes, again, it may sound like a broken record, but we can never bring enough glory to God. As a matter of fact, we're going to see the attribute of glory here in a couple of weeks. But we want to bring Him glory. So we obtain a power. In this power that we have, we have the power of choice either to not obey God or we have the power to choose to obey God. People have the power to say, I want to go to church on a Wednesday or I don't want to go. There's many of them who exercise uh, either one. But of course, we know now, as we're seeing today, that this power that we have, we want to use it to glorify God in everything that we exercise at home, in our country, uh, with the family, at the workplace, in church as well, in every area. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. says, now to him who is able, means he has the power. Able for what? To do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power 
that works in us. Okay, I've slightly mentioned this before, but this scripture is used a whole lot when it comes to money or when it comes to material things. God is able to do abundantly, abundantly and exceedingly more than we can think or ask, but actually this is really, really deep if you look at it in its full context. And it doesn't speak of money. Can it apply to money? Yes, it can. Can it apply to something material? Yes, it can. But primarily... It speaks of way deeper things. It speaks that He would grant us to be strengthened through His Spirit in the inner man. He said, according to the power that works in us. What is that power? That's the power of God, the Holy Spirit. We saw the analogy, right, with these balloons. One of them just falls to the ground. The other one soars to the sky. That's the power that resides within. Now, if we're in Christ, if we are sons, daughters of Christ, then guess what? The same Spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead that we celebrated on Sunday, that spirit that miraculously raised him up after three days, he resides inside of us. Then why does my life not reflect the glory of God? Why does it still reflect foolishness? Why does it still reflect carnality? Because that is the power that I have to choose to deny God. But we can also have uh, the, the power of choice to say, no, I allow the Spirit of God to work through me so that I can glorify Him, so that my life can look more like His. So that He would grant us to be strengthened through His Spirit in the inner man. It also speaks that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we would first be rooted and grounded in love. Now, this isn't just a love. We're not just talking about love, but the love for God. That we would be rooted and grounded. That that would be our foundation. First of all, this is one thing. I love God and that's all I know right now. And then you start to build on top of that. Then you understand within all the brethren as you come together, the deeper love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. And then lastly, that we would be filled or complete with all the fullness of God. I mean, that's, that's a big, those are big shoes to fill. But all things are possible with God. And He gives us that power to be able to do it. To be filled, to be complete with the fullness of the knowledge of God. How are we doing on that? Are we confident with the knowledge that we have right now according to God? okay it doesn't we're not we don't need to be condemned but we should be encouraged to say look i want to chase after him more i want to follow after him more i don't want it to stop on wednesday night when we leave from here but i want to go home and if i fall asleep with my bible open on my lap so be it i want to know more about him that's the heart that god sees and says that heart i can give them more because they're following after me that's how the Christian grows. That's how the Christian is going to be filled with this fullness. We're never going to get to the complete knowledge of it, but we're trying to attain it. Guess what? Everything that the Apostle Paul knew, we can know it. But God sees our hearts. If, he's not gonna, oh, if He told us not to cast our pearls among swine, you think God's going to give us something that He knows we're not going to be good stewards of? He's not going to. That's not how God works. His word is too precious. His revelation is too precious for us to trample over a foot. No, that's not what he died for. 
As Christians, we have this Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that resides inside. That Yeah, we should be excited when we're listening, when we're at church, instead of falling asleep, instead of just being bored. And I've often said before, if that's the case, a person's better off just staying at home. Because what's happening in the heart when you don't have that desire is becoming harder and harder. And that's why there's a famine that's coming for the hearing of the Word of God. Now, this is the truth that's hard to share, and, but it has to be shared. Now, I share it as, as, as gently as possibly, but, but it's, we have to bring it up front. Do we have, not have serious discussions with our children? Of course we do. We have to. If we love them and we care for them. We have a natural sense that it is our ability to exercise our wills and make choices. And to do so in a relatively free way. Remember I talked about that last week. We have tremendous freedom. That is one of the most significant marks of God-likeness in our existence. Of course, our desire to exercise our wills and our desire to be free from restraint can show themselves in sinful ways. Amen, we know that. It can definitely show itself in, in, in sinful ways. Do I have freedom? Yes. I have freedom to do many things. Yes, I can go party, I can go drink, I can uh, go fornicate, I can do what I want to. Those are sinful ways. Do they glorify God? No, that's why we're called to be pulled by the inner man, not the outer man. The outer man's going to pull us all the way to hell. But the inner man, he drags us because he's led by that spirit, like that balloon soaring upwards. I just have this pulling on my soul. People can become proud and can desire a kind of freedom that involves rebellion against God's authority and a refusal to obey his will. Nonetheless, when we use our will and our freedom to make choices that are pleasing to God, we reflect his character and bring glory to him. When human beings are deprived of their ability to make free choices by evil governments or by other circumstances, a significant part of their godlikeness is suppressed. We're experiencing that today. That's what's happening in America. We're being suppressed by it. We're being grieved by it. It is not surprising that they will pay almost any price to regain their freedom once again. American revolutionary Patrick Henry's cry, give me liberty or give me death. It finds an echo deep within the soul created in the image of God. Isn't that what, what he said? Give me liberty. I want to be free or let me just die. One of the two, because I'm going to die trying. And that's what people are saying today. I mean, we're going to fight for these freedoms. There is a people that says, look, we're going to stand, even if I have to take my last breath, for this freedom. Now, when it comes to our liberty here in this country, it doesn't even compare to the liberty that we have in Christ. And that's what separates us from the two. And we have to be very careful because we can see a fingerprint of it, but we have to be very careful that we don't choose the liberty as patriots to this country, but we choose uh, the liberty as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's very important that we know how to separate that. When it comes to both the omnipotence, the power of God, and our sharing of this attributes, we can learn much from both sides in the reading of Jeremiah chapters 27, 28, and 29, especially in contrast to the times that we're facing today. 
Now, I would love to get into those chapters, but I, uh, we don't have because of time. But I would encourage you to go home and read Jeremiah 27, 28, and 29 if you haven't read the whole book. Now, that's what I was covering in, in our devotional time. That's what we were covering this morning. But as I started to read it and we were discussing it, it's so similar to what's happening today. I mean, it's like, wow, this is, this is like... If we wouldn't know and it didn't have names, we would say they're talking about America and they're talking about everything that's happening today. But of course, we know they're mentioning Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. This happened way back then. But I believe that history repeats itself. So I think that we should be very careful and very aware because this had to do with the people of God and they faced a judgment. So today it has to do with the people of God, lest we face a judgment, which I believe we're already there, we need to be very wise in this area. But in this, Jeremiah chapter 27, it talks about Jeremiah. And again, we look at the burdens that these prophets carried. The, the Lord told them, make these bars and stocks, these yokes, and put them upon yourself. And so Jeremiah had to walk around with yokes around his hands, his wrists, and around his neck. Imagine that. People would look at you at H-E-B and say, this, this guy's crazy. He's wearing yokes around himself. But this was by prescription of God. I need you to do this. And why did he need him to do this? Because the message was, this is exactly what's going to happen to you, people of God. God's going to allow this to happen. Why? Because of your rebellion, because of your injustice, because of your oppression. And you're going against God. You're not coming back. You're not listening to the voice that God is saying, come back to me. So because of it, you're fixing to face this. And what is going to happen? I'm going to send a nation called Babylon and their king's going to rise up and he's going to come and plunder you and take you captive. He's going to take you to a place you don't want to go. And so then comes a man named Hananiah, false prophet. And he says, that's not what's going to happen. No, 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 no. God's going to, God's going to, you know, he's, he's going to take this uh, and, and he's going to get rid of it because Jeremiah is saying, this is captivity is going to take a long time. And he said, no, God's, it's only going to be really short and it's just going to be good. And as a matter of fact, he takes it upon himself to take these yokes and break them off of Jeremiah and say, look, this is how God's going to do it this fast. Now, Jeremiah said, amen, I would hope that it would happen like that. But then he goes back home and the Lord says, no, you need to go back and you need to tell Hananiah that uh, that's not what I have said. So he goes back and he tells him, God didn't send you. God's not speaking to you. God's speaking to me. Now you see the boldness of a prophet and he goes on. And uh, of course, Jeremiah chapter 29, it's a very popular chapter. We know this, the verse, most of us do, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, right? For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're for good and not for evil. Now, I would say that a lot of times this verse, it lacks context when it's said, but Jeremiah 29, 11 means what Jeremiah 29, 11 means. It means that God, for His people, knows the plans that He has for them, okay? They're good plans. They're good thoughts. I want to do good to you. I want to give good to you. But in this instance right here, because of your rebellion, because of your not following me and listening to these other false prophets, then you're going to be taken away captive. 
Remember this man, Nebuchadnezzar, we talked about last week, that had long claws and crawled on his hands and feet and he ate grass for a couple of years? He said, this man, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to let him rise, uh, rise up. He's going to come. He's going to take you captive. And that's exactly what happened. And what did he tell his children? Go ahead, have your families in Babylon. Build your houses. Plant your gardens. Do what you do. Just get used to it. It's going to take 70 years. Now imagine if God told us 70 years, you're going to have to endure this. I mean, I think we would just faint at that moment right there. 70 years, I can't do 70 years. But he said, no, yes. But when you come out, now this is all because of your rebellion, because of your neglect of my word. Now when you come out, I have good plans for you. If you follow me, as Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you seek me, you seek me with all your heart, then you shall find me and I will lead you and I will direct you. Now, we can see a lot here when it comes to the power of God and the power of man in these three chapters. And of course, all throughout Scripture, but I'm bringing up these three because I'm very familiar because we were studying it this morning. But when it comes to man's power, we see that man had the power to disobey God. That was the Israelites. They chose to not follow what God asked of them. And they, they chose to neglect the words of his true prophet, which was Jeremiah. I'm not going to listen to what he says. And instead, they listen to the false prophets. I mean, what's easier? We go to a doctor's office. There's two doctors in the office. The first doctor comes in and says, hey, you have stage four cancer. The second one comes in and says, no, I don't know what he's talking about. It's not stage four cancer. It's just, it's just a small blemish that you don't have to worry about it. I mean, we'd probably be prone. Okay, I want to believe this one because it's nicer. But if we really care for our life, we would say, well, I, I want a second opinion. I want to make sure this is right. I don't want to chance this. But see, these people didn't because that's what the false prophets were saying. Oh, no, God didn't say that. There's peace. You know, just don't worry about it. And so they chose and God allowed them the power. So one could say, so they have more power for God to have his will done. No, God still, he's, he, he, he has his way regardless. Hananiah, he had the power to prophesy falsely. Just like you and I, we have the, the power to either speak a lie when it comes to the Word of God or present it correctly. Now, that's a scary thing because we want to make sure, remember this weekend, the light, I want to present, I need the light to present the truth. But they also had the power to trust God in and through their judgment. Those 70 years, they could just trust God and say, I did this to myself. Okay, I'm going to follow and when it comes to God's omnipotence, he had the power to send his prophets and his word. They didn't listen. So a person says, so then they were more powerful than God. No, because what did God do? I'll send my judgment. I'll send my judgment and that's going to have the last word because he does have the greater power. What else did he have the power to do? He had the power to use an evil king. And raise him up so that he could take those people into captivity. And he had the power to call that king my servant. Now that is powerful right there. It's not even a man of God. He's evil. But God said, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Now we see later on that Nebuchadnezzar didn't give him the glory as well. So what did he do? He gave him judgment as well. And we talked about that last week. And that was the power to judge the same king as well. 
And of course, remember Jeremiah chapter 32, 27 from the beginning when he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course it's not. I mean, we listen to all these things and we start to think, man, God's probably confounded by all this. Oh, no, it's, God's not confounded. God knows what we're going to do before we do it. Now, the same way that this is happening today, the person we have in office, though we may not agree with him, we may not like him, but we have to remember that he's God's servant. This man that people ridicule and people put down and people mock and make fun of, that is God's servant. If we believe in Scripture, we know that God allowed him to be in there. Why? Because he has a purpose in mind. Now, we might say, well, he's allowing abortion or he's allowing young children to uh, have a sex change or, or what have you, and he's allowing so many things. It doesn't matter. You think that God has God by surprise? God doesn't need Trump in there to get his will done. And if we think that, then we're pretty superficial. And we must not know the power of God. Because God can have his will done through a man named Joseph Biden. And we need to know that. And there comes a point where we do need to be convicted and say, look, I need to respect this man somewhat. I don't have to agree with him. But I do need to respect the fact that he is God's servant. And as a matter of fact, when is the last time that I prayed for this man? Because we should. And I got convicted this morning because my prayers haven't been very many for him. And we should be praying for him. Well, we don't have to be praying that he has a good day and that he's blessed and that his dogs are healthy. No, but we can pray, God, God, cause him to see you, to fear you, and to follow your ways, God. But in the meantime, help me, like these Israelites in judgment, to trust you all the way. Even in the middle of this chaos that's happening. Because there's a lot of Christians today that are going against the grain and they're going against the hand of God. Now, all of this is happening because the Word of God has been preached contrary to the biblical manner. And there's just a lot of chaos out there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, darkness going on out there. And in these three chapters, we see exactly what is happening today. And we should be very wise during these times. We should be very wise, because if you ask me, and I'm no prophet, none whatsoever, I don't want to be, I don't claim to be, but I truly believe that we are already in a judgment that God has sent upon this country. Why? Because the people of God in this country, they're being rebellious, and they are not following His ways. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You, you know the story. That's why you fall asleep at church. That's why you don't even go to church. That's why you don't read scripture. Because you're a Christian? Well, I know what scripture says about that as well. I mean, we just got to be truthful now. The, the darker it gets, the more truthful we have to be. Of course, we have to have our words seasoned with grace. We do. It is difficult. There is an enemy, and the Bible says that he takes his people captive, and he binds them up it's so powerfully but we know the power that breaks those chains and his name is Jesus Christ. So we have to minister about him, but we have to take that with a grain of salt because today we have the power of choice to say, look, I can rant against who God has put in office. I can have uh, the power of choice to say, I'm not going to obey God. 
Look, God is, God's not making us be his children. You don't want to follow me, then don't serve me. Joshua said, you decide today what you want to do. You want to serve the gods of your, of your forefathers, of the Amorites? Go ahead. But if you want to serve the God uh, that I serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then come to this side. And that's when he said, as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. We don't have to be coming to church. We don't have to be following God. It's a choice that we have because we have seen Him, because we trust in Him, because we believe Him, not because I was born into this and I followed it. No, because I have a conviction in here that I know that this man named Jesus Christ was God in flesh. He died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven and He's coming back to take us home. That's the power that He contains. So in the meantime, I want to practice the power that I have, that we have, to follow Him and to glorify Him here on earth until He returns. So it leaves us with one question for personal application. If God's power is His ability to do what He wills to do, then isn't, uh, then isn't that power for us the ability to obey God's will and to bring about results in the world that are pleasing to Him? Name several ways in which we can increase in such power in our lives? It's a question for us to dwell upon for the next few days. Oh, it doesn't require an answer from us to one another, but individually before God, within ourselves. How can I glorify you, Lord? More ways. We need it. We desperately need it. The time is now. We can either have our hearts hardened or we can have them softened by the Spirit of God. And I would say that the latter one is the one we need to heed to. Father, we know one thing tonight. That is that your omnipotence, your power, your sovereignty, it is above all. It is above all the idols that are false. They're futile. They're foolish. They're powerless, God. But you are the all-powerful God. We've seen it. We know it, God. Matter of fact, the world knows it. They just choose to deny it. But those of us who are called by your name, God, those of us who are called according to your purpose, may you help us to be rooted and grounded in the love for you, to be strengthened by the inner man that is by your Holy Spirit, God, so that we can glorify you and exercise this power that we share with you, though it may be minute, it's small in comparison to yours but that we may use it, God, to glorify you, Father, in trials, in afflictions, in our church going, in our families, God, even in our government today. Oh, of course, we can see the agenda of the enemy and the gates of hell. He wants to turn this world upside down. But Father, when we read the book of Acts, we see our early brethren. They were the ones that were turning the world upside down. God, people would look at them and, and they realize that they had been with you. God, may that be us. May people look at us. May they listen to us, God, and may they realize they have been with Jesus Christ because we dwell with you in mind and thought and emotion, God. Father, we need you, Lord. May you have mercy on us for all the ungodliness that we may have allowed it to become because, God, we're not totally guiltless. We all have our own wrongs, but convict us, God, so that we may repent and draw closer to you.